You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, let him sleep on it. Baby, baby, let him sleep on it. He'll give you an answer in the morning. It's Jeff McLarjuge. It's me in the paradise by the dashboard light. Hey, guess what this week is, Bill? Uh, I don't have to guess, I know, but I'll, I'll make believe I don't know. Uh, what is it, Jeff? Hey, this is uh, our one-year anniversary. Yep, it is the one-year anniversary of the Bill and Jeff era of the Twibbly podcast, right? This is yeah. episode one of season four. Wow. If I go into my mental wayback machine and I think back over all the weeks that we've done this, that we've made these recordings. 52 of them. We've been surprisingly consistent. Like, we've been able to keep the momentum of this thing kind of going and, and not get bored with it, yeah. you know. Whatever. With all the foolishness of COVID and shit, we've been able to sort of make this thing kind of work. And I, I was thinking back at like, I don't generally get involved in long-term projects that have these kind of timelines. And yet here I am yeah. in one and it's gone for a year. Yeah. We've what actually told this story before, so we don't have to go through all the details of it. But, right. uh, you know, you and I have been friends since the mid 80s and, and we're yeah. yet to have an argument. So ah, yeah. take that back. So <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wait. <laughs> You I'm sorry, man. bucket of ass. I'm so, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, yeah, and people have actually messaged and asked what happened, you know, why is it season three and what happened to seasons one and two? Seasons one and two are kind of like lost in time. Yeah. That's the noise for lost in time. Yeah, they, they kind of exist somewhere. Once I get a couple of things, once I find them, because uh, they're on a thumb drive somewhere. And once I get something hammered down and find them, I might end up putting them up again. You can uh, people can go back and look for that. If if they become available, I'll announce it on an upcoming episode. But yeah, whole year, holy cow! Right, I know it's it's hard to believe. Like I said, I'm generally not somebody who gets involved in long term projects like this, but here I am in one, and it's been a lot yeah. of fun. And it's it's definitely been for those of you who are listening to this and and wondering, you know, kind of how the sausage gets made. We don't talk about how we make the podcast too often. There have been days where Bill and I have started our conversation about the podcast which we're going to record you know in x number of minutes with how are you doing today like man it's a shitty day i'm having a crappy day how about you yeah today sucks but because we haven't talked to each other in a week and we start to sort of have some fun talking about why we're in such a crappy mood that by the time we're ready to record we're both feeling really good and funny and yeah and and that makes for some of the funnier shows it's really fun to uh to have the opportunity to spend this couple of hours with you every week and record this show so those have been some of my favorite episodes whenever like you and i are just like ah, 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 right. and then like for whatever reason the the gloves just like come right off and we just not making i guess it's a you know sparking out the static so to speak you know just right right that, that kind of release it, it helps if we get to if those that t also tends to be the weeks where we get the opportunity to do like <laughs> Alex Jones's vo voice or <laughs> Elvis and Nixon or whatever because like those are the weeks that we've both been in terrible moods that we've been able to really have some fun being silly. Or there's a great, great cryptozoology story to talk about. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Those are my favorites. I love, I love the and all oh, the weird ones. The really weird stories where, like, you know, people were mailing their children and stuff like uh, that. Yeah, that's a, definitely a favorite of mine. I still threaten with my, my children with that. Don't make me mail you. And they're like, you can't put me in a bag. I'm bigger than you, Dad. And I'm like, but <laughs> just get in the bag. Okay. Keith, you know, I don't know what else to talk about this week, but it, I thought it was momentous enough that we should, you know, at least call attention to the fact that we've been doing this for a year. So, before we get anniversary show rolling over here, I have my very popular and always favorably received 
Uh, trivia question. Uh, most uh, commercials, most television commercials, are usually about 30 seconds long. Some of the really good ones are four, 15 seconds long. but And there's been some that are about a minute. And then you get into the infomercials, which are typically a half an hour to an hour long. However, that is not the longest television commercial. What is the length of the longest television commercial ever? Oh, boy. Uh, this is such a, a weird and esoteric uh, question. I'm going to give you a weird and esoteric answer. During the first year, I want to say it was like 1995 of Major League Soccer, the whole season of Major League Soccer was brought to you by Major League Soccer. And I watched all the games of Major League Soccer during the first annual year of Major League Soccer, including the the final cup game, which was described by the president of Major League Soccer as pretty much an infomercial for Major League Soccer. I am not paid by Major League Soccer to use their name 35 times, but I'm pretty sure that that was like three hours long. That may be the longest TV commercial that I'm aware of. Solid guess. Solid guess. You're wrong, but solid guess. Uh, I will give you the answer at the end of the show, but for now, this is the week beginning July the 26th. And seeing as it's the one-year anniversary, we will let you start. Ah, I appreciate that. It's a nice anniversary gift. July 26th, 1609, English mathematician Thomas Harriot is the first person to draw a map of the moon by looking at it through a telescope. Now, it doesn't sound all that momentous, but think about it just a little bit deeper, right? There's no place you can stand on Earth and draw a map of the Earth. Yeah, okay, yeah, solid point, right, yeah. Right, but you can draw the map of effectively another planet or dwarf planet or, or our moon by viewing it through an early, early telescope to the point where you can pick out features, give features names, it's where we get... Sea of Tranquility. Uh, the Sea of Tranquility, etc. It's from Thomas Harriot's original, original mappings. Now, in the years and decades and centuries since then more detailed maps have been built using more sophisticated technologies and better telescopes. Oh, yeah. But it all goes back to that very first guy who's like, hey, you know what? I bet if I look at that through this thing that makes things bigger, <laughs> I, I can probably map it out. And it's the first time another planet was mapped by anyone. It, it doesn't sound momentous, but it's huge. It's a huge, huge thing. I wonder if they like printed that out, so to speak, and brought it with them on the first moon landing there in 1969. Like, kind of like, all right, now hold it, hold it, hold it up straight. I got to see where we're going here. <laughs> right. uh, we're supposed to take a left at the, uh, you know, I don't see the craters that he, that, oh, you know, this isn't to scale. <laughs> it's amazing consideration. I, and I think about cartography uh, and how maps were, were, were made here and for the world that you typically use, like the Mercator projection, which is sort of maps of all the coastlines that people have sort of built and put together based on latitude and longitude. So it's not an accurate picture of what the Earth looks like because it's not fully visible. Whereas the moon is fully visible through a telescope. At least, yeah, this side of it anyway. Right. At least one side of it anyway. Yes. You know what? I bet you Thomas Harriot's directions on the moon were way more accurate than we'll say ways. <laughs> Turn left. Now! Now! But it's a kid's party. Turn left! <laughs> yeah. I drove through somebody's yard because my GPS told me. Ways designed by the people who make the fourth star light up on Grand Theft Auto 3. <laughs> I don't use Waze. Uh, somebody told me that Waze was like the best one. And I was like, all right, I'll download it. And then like, you know, I drive down to Florida quite often. And they were like, yeah, we're only good for like the first 250 miles. And after that, you're on your own. I'm like, what? And then that was early version of Waze. And then I used it again to get to like Six Flags. And they had me like going through Connecticut to get there. I was like, look. Brought to you by the Connecticut Chamber of Commerce. Like they're the sponsors <laughs> of that road, you know, that, that particular uh, destination. All right. So moving on to July the 27th. July the 27th, 1988. Radio Shack announces the availability of its home computer, the Tandy 1000. And for a lot of us me included, that was the first IBM PC-compatible computer that I touched. Oh, was it? Because they were relatively inexpensive, they were available in Radio Shacks everywhere, and there were Radio Shacks everywhere. Yeah. And they were less expensive than IBM's home computer at the time, the PC Junior. Right, yeah. And, that's, and this is 88, so that's like Windows 1, I think, right? <laughs> no, not even DOS. Oh, oh it's still DOS at that oh 80, 80, 80, yeah, 80, 80. yeah 80 yeah it's still DOS at that yeah. point right yeah the only, the only window you had was the one next to your yeah. desk 
<laughs> to look out at the squirrels. Yeah. yeah. The one you had to keep open so the computer doesn't overheat. Right, exactly. Yes. Right. And it was cool because, you know, again, that computers hadn't really become as user-friendly as they would in just the next 10 years. Right. But but it was the, one of the things that brought more robust standalone computing home. It wasn't a computer and game system. It wasn't a computer and something that you attach to a television. It was a standalone computer with computer applications that you could use on it. And it did play some games, but it was generally designed for business programs. Right. That was like, hey, honey, we can balance our checkbooks right over here on this $1,000 machine or however much right, however exactly. much they yes, were when they and, first came out. Yep. And, you know, you could do the sort of word processing and data crunching and all the other things that you couldn't really do as easily on, uh, like, the, the precursor to this was the, the TRS-80. The color computer. If you wanted to word process, you had to load the operating system and then load the word processor, and you couldn't save anything yeah, we, unless you were saving it to a cassette deck. Yeah, you know? we first learned how to use computers on those TRS-80s, and they weren't even colors. They were just yeah, plain black and white, one right. solid piece of equipment. Yeah, and we got we had six of them in the school. I was like, woohoo! Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yeah. I after I I typed in 725 lines of code off of a piece of paper and I created a Pong game. Because yeah. <laughs> that's kind of what you did with them. Yeah, so, yeah, about the long and the short of it. There's so many things that we take, you know, the world is computers and tablets now, but, you know, it wasn't all that long ago in our lifetime anyway, where if you wanted to type something out, you typed it out on a typewriter like your son has been doing lately. And if you made a mistake, yep. <laughs> you made a mistake. <laughs> you have to type it all out all over again or go get some whiteout on there or something like that. Yep. Or be like me and just uh, I'll deal with it in editing. So yep. you scratch it out with a pencil and you keep on going. Right. Yeah. As a writer, computers just must have been the, the absolute best thing to ever happen. It, it started. Well, the best thing that ever happened, at least as far in my history of writing, was the, the creation of like the standalone word processor, right. which was like a computer that had a severe head injury. It could only do one thing. I, ha I and, had one of those. Our mutual friend Jim sold me one. And it was great. I wrote a bunch of books and short stories on one just as I was learning the craft. Yep. And uh, yeah, it was great. It was something I could save to floppy disk and then I go actually, to Kinko's and print. Yep. I actually have, oh, the one that uh, Jim sold me had a printer built into it. And I actually have files on my hard drive that originated on that word processor. Mine also had a printer built into it, but yep. it was a daisy wheel printer. It took three minutes to print a page, and it had no sheet feeder. Loud as hell, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. It sounded like machine gun time in my apartment when I was using it. <laughs> All right. So barreling forward to the 28th, what do you got? July 28th, 1866. U.S. President Andrew Johnson signs the Metric Act of 1866 making it lawful to use the metric system in the U.S. And we still don't bloody well use it, do we? 155 years later. <laughs> I still have to have two sets of wrenches. Because, I mean, I work as a, uh, a machinist, a CNC machinist, yep. Yep. and not everything we make is for stuff in this country. Right. And there's drill sizes that are in... this stuff that's in the imperial system, or as we like to call it, the standard system, even though we're the only country in the world that uses it. <laughs> uh, other countries we do business with them and then the drill sizes will be in metric and there's nothing like even all that close in imperial drill sizes it's frustrating you know yeah and it, i i always like like i start yelling at the engineers like it's their fault i was like well if this country would just switch over to the metric system like the, the rest of the freaking planet like, well, don't yell at me. You'll have to, you know, talk to Andrew Johnson. Right, exactly. And ever <laughs> since that, it's been just kilogram of kilogram of bullshit about not using the metric system here. It is a silly thing that we're still on the imperial system. But one of the engineers said something really funny, and he's kind of right in a way. He goes, there's two types of countries in this world. Those who use the metric system and those who have landed on the moon. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, well, that's lovely. And next time we're on the moon, I'll make sure to bring my imperial wrenches so I can change the tire on the moon rover. But until then, man, it would be so much easier if we just had the same measurements as everyone else and only need one set of tools to do stuff. Right, right. It's almost like the method of using a USB thumb drive, right? Plug it, it doesn't go in. Flip it over, plug it, it doesn't go in. Flip it back to the way you started. Plug it, it goes in. Yes. For me, it's like, could say 9 16ths on this friggin' nut, but it won't be. 
it'll be a metric wrench that I have to go find. <laughs> and then the metric wrench won't exactly fit. And then I go back and 916 finally, you know, fits. It's like I have to test all the wrenches to make things work. Metric system, people. 5625. 5625. Yeah, that's a decimal equivalent for 916s. See? There, see? There we go. See, I can't even do those conversions. I still have to go, like, if somebody says I need two kilograms of flour, and I'm like, where are you going to get that? Because I don't know how much that is. Yeah. I have to go to make a convert. I have to go make a converter, yeah. you know? Yeah, metric system, America, for the love of all the creatures, big and small, would you get on the freaking stick? It's easier for everybody. <laughs> Don't you want to make it easier for everybody? It's so easy because all of their measurements are like super compatible. Mm -hmm. Like the standard length is the meter. And then right. one hundredth of a meter is a centimeter. Now, yep. now, if you take a cube and make it one centimeter by one centimeter by one centimeter and fill that up with a liquid, you will have one centiliter of that liquid. Right. So 100 of those centiliters will equal one liter of, yeah, everything's compatible with itself. Me right. Meanwhile, you got all these like ounces, fluid ounces, inches. Uh, as somebody who does a lot of cooking mm -hmm. and has a ton of cookbooks from all over the world, I have to have two sets of tools when I cook because like I don't know the difference between one tablespoon and 350 milliliters of something or whatever, whatever it turns out to right. be. Because I have to go through and be like, oh god, I'm a kilogram of beef and whatever, and it's like, ah. Whereas I'm used to, I'm used to using the measurements that I'm used to, so I have to have like special measuring spoons and special measuring cups and everything else so that I can cook stuff that's not from this country. I still have to run back to my phone or computer or whatever to look up how many cups a freaking half gallon and stuff. Right. No recollection of any of that. No, it doesn't make any sense. It's completely baffling. No one could ever know. <laughs> That's why we need the metric system. Nobody in the history of this planet has ever memorized it all. Exactly. No one can ever know those. It's secret knowledge. Yeah. Metric system people. Make it happen. Yep. Yeah, you, you can wave your flags and say America number one all you want, but the imperial system is stupid. My flag is one meter long. <laughs> that would be so perfect if that was the... <laughs> If, if that was a thing. The standard for the American flag is one meter. Damn it! <laughs> uh. All right, so moving on to July the 29th, 1754. That's a, it seems like just yesterday. The first international boxing match was held. Ooh. Yep. Hey, usually I'm the guy that brings all the boxing knowledge well, here. So what do you got? The, think of it as an anniversary present. Uh, oh, I like that. So it, it was a 25-minute match. Like they didn't have you know rounds <laughs> or gloves oh, or anything. Okay, yeah, that must have just yeah, just two guys you know beating the tar out of one another. So we got uh, a 25-minute match. It was won by Jack Slack. Could eat no fat. His wife could eat no lean. No wait, uh, Jack Slack of Britain, and he knocked uh -huh. knocked out because uh, that's the way they did it back then. Uh, Jean Petit from France. Yeah. Jean Petit was a little guy. I, I'm going to guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, for those of you who don't understand, like, 25 minutes of boxing is a load fighting. Oh, yeah. There's a reason boxing rounds are only three minutes, because after about three minutes, man, even the best boxer is spent. Yeah. So f being able to, like, do that for 25 minutes, man. Again, this is 1754, so there's no there's no gloves, there's no mouth guards, there's no leather helmets. There's just two dudes with fisticuffs <laughs> and that sort of old-timey boxer pose. You know, is this I'm sure that two guys with their eyes like anaphylaxis looking shut? Like Jean Petit with his, I'm sure he has a mustache that's curled with wax. And he's like, come for me and I will box you. And then... Jack Slack's like, all right then, all right. And he's got a big handlebar, like a walrus mustache. And they're like, what's all this then? What's all this then? Come here, Frenchie. Yeah. That must have been something to watch, though. Yeah, exactly. Just like, this is 1754. There's no rings. There's no boxing commission. It's just like, hey, uh, why don't you send one of you guys over here and we'll beat the hell out of them. <laughs> Well, I, th I think probably what makes this different than just, like, two guys beating the shit out of each other in the street yep. is that there was probably some organization that was like, you know, we might be able to make some money if we bill this as France versus England. And we'll get the biggest, you know, boxing guy from France, whoever that is, Jean Petit, right. and we'll get Jack Slack, the biggest boxing guy that we know from this part of London, and we'll sell that as, as you know, England versus France. And that probably birthed one of the earliest of the boxing organizations that started to do those kind of promotions and 
would go on to do things like establish ring sizes and round lengths and other things. And that's probably the really, really the beginning of it. Don King's great, 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 great grandfather was just sitting there, just like salivating. He's looking at Jean Petit. He goes, "He's going to go down in the fifth. <laughs> There's no, there, there aren't five rounds yet." Don King, <laughs> un Junior. He's like, "Oh, that's right. He's going to go down to the twenty-sixth minute." <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll, we'll give you like five hundred francs for you to spin in the fifth. The, the fifth of what? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The fifth minute. The fifth day. The fifth, fifth, uh, fifth time I get punched in the yeah. face. Like, what? What do you mean? At twenty. Yeah. At twenty-five minutes, you spin. Yeah. <laughs> at twenty-five minutes, I'm going down no matter 25 what. Twenty-five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. They must have been just like two big puddles of bruises by the end of that. Puddles of bruises and exhaustion. Yeah. Imagine if there was a there was a, a boxing announcer from modern day. Like, it looks like Jack Slack's arms have. He can't lift them anymore. He's uh, he's just wandering around, uh, desperately trying to catch his breath. And Jean Petit is uh, he's got his hands on his knees and he's hunched over. <laughs> yeah, he just threw up, and uh, he, I don't know if he's going to be able to lift his arms tomorrow because he certainly can't lift them now. You're walking around with what effectively looks like two potatoes at the end of your wrists. <laughs> right, he's bleeding from everything on his head, including his hair follicles. But I guess there was clearly an audience for it because man, boxing's still a thing. I can't believe it like caught on. You know, it's like, hey, who wants to do this? Like, you know, I, this, I think there's a real future in this. Yeah. Is it, this. I think it's because it's so easy to get into. Like, yeah. what do you have for equipment? I, I've got my yeah. hands. Yep, you're ready. Come on. You know, yep, yep, you join the pros. I got to ride there. Yeah. <laughs> I got to ride there. Exactly. <laughs> right. I've got, I got 25 minutes to kill someone, someone else. I can kill someone else in 25 minutes. <laughs> All right. So let's get on to the 30th. What do you got? July 30th, 1975. Now, this is a sort of a funny number, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Uh, it's the seventh annual San Diego Comic-Con at the El Cortez Hotel. Okay. It, it's interesting not because it's the seventh Comic-Con, but in 1975, it was the seventh. So we think of these things as being really popular now. Right. And they started in 1968. Yeah, and Marvel Comics only started in like, what, 65 or 66, 65 right? 65 or 66, right. Yeah. And it, so part of it sprung out of like science fiction conventions for writers and, and Star Trek fans because that was a big boost after Star Trek went off the air. But for, for it to be like comic-oriented, where a lot of comic books were sold and artists were featured and stuff, very little has changed between what was going on in 68 69, 70, even 75, and today, uh, including down to down to cosplay, was was still being done. It's a lot different now. I was involved, and time will tell if I get back involved with the Comic Con circuit for about mm-hmm. uh, ten years. But prior to the the Tony Stark thing that I used to do back in the nineties, I used to go to the like the early, early, early Boston Comic Con, and right. it, and it was like. On the the top floor of the Howard Johnsons, it was like three rooms, right. and there was like you know a, a bunch of comic book stores from the area with their big long boxes that you could look yep. through, and there was a couple of artists. And now, well, one Boston Comic Con doesn't even exist anymore, right. and two, it's more vendors than anything now. Well, I think a lot of it is like when you had like Star Trek conventions, there used to be like Galaxy Con and Rebel Con and all these other things that were all Star Trek and science fiction media oriented. Right. And I think they all sort of kind of ended up ultimately merging. Yeah. Here in New Hampshire, we have Granite State Comic Con, which started out as, again, long boxes from my local comic shop and some others that were in New Hampshire. Yeah, it's my friend Pat that puts that one on. Right at the the Holiday Inn in Concord, which is like a hotel that's big enough for seven people. And then um, it grew out of that into a much, much, much bigger event with a lot fewer comic books and a lot more people selling toys and books and and um, cosplay sort of lessons and things and pictures and people that you could meet and get autographs from with still panel discussions and other stuff but it's a lot more focused on the media side yeah. than it is on like the comic book side anymore and that'll, that'll I think that'll eventually kind of switch back at some point in the future most um, of the cons now I can only speak for the New England area but most of the cons now are just they're not comic book oriented I think the only right but like Boston Comic Con doesn't exist anymore. It's called Fan Expo now. You know, and then there's the Super Mega Fest, which is the one I really liked. And there's a few others like Terrificon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they're by and large all mainly the same. They're all multimedia cons. Right. And I, and I think that as our multimedia becomes more condensed, mm-hmm. 
So, like, Warner Brothers now owns DC Comics, which now owns... <laughs> everything that Disney doesn't, yeah. Everything that Disney doesn't, and Disney owns Star Wars and, and, Marvel. and Marvel, that it's much more likely that they're looking to cross-promote, or use are they using the books as a kind of a, as a, an accessory to the films, which is where they really make their money, and... And it's a little bit different now because of that, I think, for sure. But I, th- I think that the collector side of it, there are already smaller ones that start now and, now and again, where it's just like the local comic book stores are like four guys and 25 long boxes in a one hotel ballroom, and they're selling out all of their other stock, and they still build those around here every now and then as Comic-Cons. You know, prior to the, the pandemic, you know, the Comic-Cons, it, it really just it started becoming more of a showcase for the cosplayers yeah. you know it became like a cosplay con so to speak and they yeah. just so happen to sell comic books there too sometimes yeah and I, one of the reasons i kind of stopped going was that and i i had a, i would typically go there to buy comic books yeah when i when i released my book escape clause i did a book signing at grant state comic con i had a table and everything i signed i think 10 books or 20 books or something the last year i went i took my son and my nephew and they were dressed as the venture brothers yep which was awesome and a couple of people recognized them as we were walking around. But it was still more like you'd just see people mingling around as opposed to like a gauntlet of people in costumes on the way in. People, you know, taking pictures or charging for pictures and all this other sort of stuff. And that sort of started to happen more the year afterwards. And by then I was already like, well, there weren't any comic books to buy, so I didn't go. Well, we'll see how the world shapes up to be when the world fully opens back up in the uh, upcoming future. We'll see. What? We'll see how things change. I, I, I really looked forward to the ones, the, the horror ones, because they, one, they stuck more with a theme, and that, that theme is something I really like. I'm really into the, the horror stuff, so. I know. I used to go to um, the, the Babylon 5 Rebel Con that was down in Taunton, Mass. Uh, I went to that for years, three or four years in a row. I had a great time. All right, well, fingers crossed for the upcoming months, guys. Oh. Let's go on to the 31st. Uh, 31st is kind of a two fur here but they're very uh, they're very similar so july the 31st 1969 the u.s space probe mariner 6 sends back pictures as it makes its closest approach to the planet mars so we get our first real kind of like close-up pictures of mars and i'm staring at an animated gif of it right now you know by today's standards not very impressive but in 1969 right. that was like woohoo crazy time And then just seven short years later, uh, July 31st, 1976, NASA releases the famous Viking face on Mars photo. So, yeah, there's that famous picture from Mars that looks like there's a face in the sand. Yep. Yep. The Sidonia region. The source of the Muse song, Knights of Sidonia, by the way. Oh, very good. I thought you were going to tell me that that guy mapped out Mars while he was at it. (laughs) Why not? We'll make a day out of it. (laughs) I need two telescopes, (laughs) one for each eye. (laughs) <laughs> Ooh, I think I'm onto something. <laughs> so yeah, that famous uh, face on Mars there—that that that was like a lot of like alien speculation and this, that, and the other. Yeah, yeah. It's a, people got whole careers out of saying that's clearly evidence of a civilization on Mars that's long dead. And then it was like, was it like the 90s? NASA sent another orbiter <laughs> around Mars and was like, oh, it's just a rock. It's a rock. So much yeah, for that. So much for, yeah. So much for Mars Attacks, even though that that came without right. that comic book or what was it? What was it? A series of cards originally? Yes. Mars yeah, Tops used to put those out. Ack, 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 ack. So yeah, the Mars Attacks cards by Tops. There, yeah, that was put. They were put out in ni- 1962. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that far back. Holy yeah, mackerel. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So long before we saw our face on Mars, right. and then then we saw the face on Mars, and we're like, hot diggity dog. Ack, 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 ack. Yeah. <laughs> ack, ack, ack. <laughs> Don't run away. We are your friends. Thank heavens we have many recordings of Slim Whitman. <laughs> Lots of talk uh, over the last couple of years about sending some people over there. And we're like, so uh, how would you like to go somewhere and never come back? Right. And you're almost almost yes. certain to die in oh. not all that long. I, w- I wonder if it'll end up being like sort of the way Australia was settled. You are got life in prison. That's pretty crappy, huh? How'd you, how'd you like to be an astronaut instead? Go to Mars, never come back, and and end up settling it that way. Sending off people who are like, well, you you know, before you killed the guy that was doing stuff with your wife, you were an undersea welder. <laughs> hey, you've got some skills and some anger issues, but that's okay. We won't have to worry about those on Mars. And off they go. <laughs> they get to Mars and like the whole crew's dead because Rufus went on a bender. <laughs> 
It's too much toilet wine. <laughs> All right, let's wrap up the week. August the 1st. Uh, okay, August 1st, 1996. George R.R. R. Martin, who looks sort of like Santa Claus, publishes the epic fantasy novel Game of Thrones, <laughs> the first in his long-running and hitherto unfinished series, A Song of Ice and Fire. Santa Claus looks like a drunken R.R. Martin. He does. Like, <laughs> ho, ho, holy crap, I'm never going to finish this series of books. The reason that I, I picked this one is it was interesting to see how quickly this became sort of must-see television. It's the be- it's it's not the beginning of, but it's like the logical outgrowth, I think, of that, t- that sort of weird prestige TV that gets a lot of money put into it. And yeah. it's and it's really uh, faithful to the source material, so it brings in not only the fans of the source material, but also a bunch of people from outside because it's compelling, and it grows far, far beyond what it would have ever done by itself. And yeah, then it makes new new fans for the source material, too, yeah. Right. I know people that so, never read Game of Thrones until they saw the, the series, and then they went back and read the books, yeah. Right, and not only that, but then they'll read other epic fan Like, fantasy novels are notorious for having, like, episode 7, 22, or book 99 of 4 million yep, you know yep. other epic fantasy series that continue to go on and on like the Robert Jordan Wheel of Time series and some other stuff the general manager of my company whenever he came on board uh, you know he was announcing you know introducing himself to everybody in a meeting he made reference that he's like a huge nerd he loves the Marvel Cinematic Universe and he loves Star Wars and he was a huge 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 fan of Game of Thrones and with the exception of like two or three of us nobody knows what the hell he's talking about i know he's talking about when it comes to like star wars and the marvel movies but i've never seen anything from the game of thrones and every single meeting and you know prior to the pandemic he was doing meetings once a month every single meeting he would throw out these game of Thrones references and then you just get like a room full of old portuguese women just kind of like blinking at him like just waiting to get released from the meeting it's always fun when you're the one guy who's like i'm the cultural touchstone here and nobody else cares <laughs> can you wrap this up i got a malasada that's cooling down right and nobody gets that joke but that's fine and nobody gets that joke yes. game of thrones apparently he had written i'm gonna just throw out numbers because i don't know anything five books and each season was based on each particular book and then they ended up surpassing what he wrote and then you know, just making stuff up to finish the series yeah. that had nothing to do with the books, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he contributed some outlines and stuff and, and worked as a consultant on them. So it wasn't like, what do you mean they have iPhones now? Yeah. You know what I mean? It wasn't like it wasn't like that. But yeah, they definitely outpaced his ability to produce the material, right. which is good and bad. It's, it's good in that it certainly creates the impetus for him to put the next to try and like knuckle down as a writer it's hard to do that sometimes but knuckle down and like get the next book out but two it, sh- it gives other people an opportunity to work in that universe with those characters and build on what he's already done so that if something happens to him down the road and it continues to be popular the stories can continue the characters can continue to live on sort of like when frank herbert died and his kid took over and now someone else and his i think his grandson or frank herbert's grandson are writing dune books well this that's also kind of like backwards engineering like the star wars universe where you had uh the three movies and then you know people were writing the the expanded universe then they did the prequels and then there was expanded universe with the prequel characters then when they came out with the sequels you know force awakens etc etc right right it just negated everything in the expanded universe right like all those stories and those some some of those were fantastic stories so i'm wondering like if you take the last couple of seasons of game of thrones and then Martin decides he's going to finish writing his books eventually. Is the canon of the show going to get thrown out for what he decides to write? Or is he going to have to adapt what he writes to incorporate what they've added to the story in the show? Like, there's another component to it, too. Characters that might be created specifically for the television show, will he have to incorporate them into his further writing? And so there's a, a whole bunch of, like, interesting components to this as it, as it grows and grows and grows. It's one of the things that I really like about that kind of media, even if it's not the genre that I typically read or watch. Yep. But from a cultural and business and literature perspective, it's really interesting. All right, let's get on to the celebrity birthdays. July the 26th, 1943, one of the most charismatic front men in show business history, Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones. Yeah, he moves like Jagger. He moves exactly like Jagger, yeah. We're going to do that for a worse song ever sometime soon. Oh, goodness, that song. Uh, but Rolling Stones, one of those bands, they never really officially broke up. They've been 
pretty much active since they started. Yeah, they've had a pretty yeah. consistent lineup yeah, too. Less, like yeah. they're always like the the more bluesy, a little bit more dangerous. At least when they started it, than the Beatles, yeah. but they just really hung on to that and did the hard rock thing right through. They never got operatic and and weird like the Who did, and they never got psychedelic like the Beatles did. No, yeah, th- they just stayed hard rock all yeah, the way through. Yeah. You know, I told you a couple of months ago that I'm doing that that year long challenge, an album a day every day. Yes, and it wasn't yep, yep. all that long ago where I picked the album Sticky Fingers. It occurred yep. to me that outside of, I think, Tattoo You, I had never heard a Rolling Stones album before. Oh, wow. Like, I, I knew the singles, you know, but I never listened yep, to a Rolling yep. Stones album. So it was really interesting. And then Sticky Fingers may as well be a Rolling Stones greatest hits album at that point because there's so so many songs on that album. Even one song on there called Bitch, I was like, oh, wait, I know this song. <laughs> All right, yep. next up. Uh, July 27, 1953, an Australian fellow named Greg Gomez-Pede, okay. born in Cardiff, New South Wales, in Australia. And while you and I will know who he is, probably no one else will, he's known by the stage name of Yahoo Serious. Oh, no. <laughs> and and had one, one film that was mercilessly uh, marketed on MTV called... Young Einstein. Yeah. They promoted the living bejeebus out of that movie. Yeah. Yeah, who's serious kind of looked like um, if John Lydon from the Sex Pistols stole one of Phil Spector's wigs. Yes. And it was it was during that time, like right around Crocodile Dundee, the Crocodile Dundee period where Australian stuff was still exotic and interesting and fun. And, right. And there was those, and, uh, those commercials too, right? It was either Doris right. Earl Energizer... They had the Australian right. guy on there. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And he was able to take his sort of like befuddled comedy routine into this film that I think he produced it and get it shown in the US. And it, I think it made his budget back. <laughs> and then it became a staple on cable for a while. And he put two other movies out, one of which I remember them advertising, but I've never seen it. And one that never made it out of Australia. Yeah, he was supposed to be like this next big thing. But by and large, Americans were like, I don't get it. Yeah, I I know. Get this guy's not funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Right, yeah, I we get that. The accent's interesting. Yes, after five minutes of it, it's like, shut up. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, he did have a secondary attempt at a career, which was in suing Yahoo for trademark infringement, <laughs> and he lost. All right, next up on the 28th, uh, 1943, so just two days after Mick Jagger, Rick Wright, the keyboard player. Oh, yeah. An unsung vocalist of... Pink Floyd. One of the great sounds of Pink Floyd is the harmonies that Rick Wright would do with David Gilmore. You know, a lot of people kind of like overlook, but those two would harmonize together. Rick Wright had a great voice, but he was more than happy to like stay in the background and just play his keyboards. Yeah. He's one of the founders. Yes. Right. Yep. One of the original members of Pink Floyd, too. So he was there during the Sid Barrett years and everything. Yep. And yeah, well, Pink Floyd was another band, you know, for the most part that, you know, kind of kept its its lineup. You know, they, they lost Sid, but they, they gained David Gilmore. There was an overlap. There was one album with five right. with five members. And then, you know, that lineup stayed until Roger Waters left in the 80s. And then yeah. even after Roger Waters left, there was still those three, Rick Wright, David Gilmore, and Nick Mason. There wasn't there wasn't too right, much right. of a rotation of cast over there. No, just different backup singers for their live show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, the, right. the orchestra behind them, yeah. Yeah, Rick and Wright, yep. And he's, uh, he's the one that's going to make sure there's never going to be a Pink Floyd reunion. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he passed away shortly after they did their reunion. They did do a reunion show for Live 8 under Bob Geldof's... Uh, behest and then rick wright died i don't know it was like two years later or something like that yeah 2008 I think. all right well but happy birthday rick moving on july 29th 1972 the most hated member of the star trek the next generation cast will wheaton <laughs> don't get that reference was, uh, but okay all right well he was he played wesley crusher on star trek the next generation the precocious super smart son of dr beverly crusher who in the star trek fandom at least for the first few years had a hatred for that character of legendary depth. Sounds like a professional wrestler. The Crusher! Yes. He's an, he was an all right. I mean, I always thought he was a pretty okay character. And he's gone on and sort of parlayed that into a couple of different good career things. Like, he plays funny version of himself on The Big Bang Theory. And he has a role, I think, in the season two of Picard as himself. And he's been one of those, like, sort of technologic, tech blogging, podcasting gadflies. One of the early adopters of all this stuff. Yeah. And has worked hard to cultivate 
cultivate a fandom of his own amongst people that are fans of Star Trek by virtue of his conversations about Star Trek. He's a really interesting media personality. And he got his first role, I think, in Stand By Me as one of the, the kids in the Stephen King film. Yeah. He was in another movie called Toy Soldiers about yep. like a boarding school that gets invaded by terrorists that was really good. That movie was super. And also, he spells his name with one L, so... There's this. There's that. He's a good guy. Next up on the July the 30th, 1963, Lisa Kudrow, who everybody would probably best know as Phoebe from the television show Friends. Oh, yeah, okay. Very, very funny woman. What's funny, if to throw the word around, about her is on the television show Friends, Phoebe, the character, is kind of like a dingbat, kind of a, you know, a little flighty, a little little yeah. little bit of a ding-dong. And, uh, but behind the scenes, Lisa Kudrow was the one that used to negotiate all the money. She was like the brains of the operation. Oh. Still, she's still, she's been doing, I mean, she's known really well for Friends, but she's been in all kinds of TV shows and movies and yeah. all kinds of stuff. Yeah, she's she's in all kinds of things. Yeah. I, I really liked her in Romy and Michelle's Class Reunion. Mm-hmm. That was, that's a very funny movie. My, uh, my friend's wife would watch that probably about once a week to the point where my friend hates that movie now. <laughs> I know she does like some voice work too on BoJack Horseman. and yeah. yeah, she's still super active. I remember really liking her in a movie called Clock Watchers some years back. I'm not sure if I saw that. It was about a girl who becomes a temp in this office building and one of the temps that already works there is Lisa Kudrow. Oh, okay. And it's like the friendship that these four women have and working in this kind of crappy environment it was a great movie yeah all right next up on the 31st what do you got july 31st 1867 in case you were ever wondering where the k in kmart came from it came from sebastian kresge oh. so he was born in 1867 and I, he must have owned a you know five and dime called kmart parlayed that into a gigantic I, I don't know if it was global but it certainly was larger than the united states it, yeah it was a chain of of department stores flat sort of plaza style department store yeah they were absolutely ginormous up until they weren't yeah it was just the big k store as as we ended up calling it yeah they were around for a very 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 long time i i'm gonna say it was basically walmart that put them out of business could say that there's a, there's a little bit more to it but like it was the it was them being bought by sears and the management of sears that kind of sacrificed them to try and keep sears alive yeah and, and then sears died too <laughs> and then yeah then and then sears went the way of the k followed it down to the bottom of the ocean like the back of the boat compared to the front of the boat yeah yep. and all that remains is walmart and target and then wrapping up the week on august the 1st 1960 uh lead performer i'll say uh and and founder of the rap group public enemy chuck d yeah yeah first of the real like politically active and popular at the same time rappers yeah like you know prior to public enemy rap was basically i'm not saying all of it was but it was basically just like a dance thing i'm, I'm not gonna say they're the first because i'll probably get you know somebody messaging me saying no they weren't but they were one of the first and definitely one of the most visible of the politically active rap where you could make this music that was formatted for dancing but actually get a very strong message across too they definitely get a lot of play on mtv that helped popularize them as artists but helped pave the way for some of the other more like politically oriented rappers like ice t and even run dmc's later records and helped sort of show that it could be something more than it was before they were a perfect kind of like yin and yang too because you know chuck d had this like this you know this angry young man kind of like image to him and then bouncing around the stage like uh like a hedgehog just bouncing around was was flavor flav who kind of was like the spoonful of sugar that helped the medicine go down. Like a lot of the attention was like being placed on Flavor Flav because he's hilarious. Right. Meanwhile, here comes Chuck D with the knowledge, you know, kicking it down your throat. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, Terminator X was a great DJ and they had that weird, like sort of militant sort of stage presence with the SW1s. And there's a whole bunch of like things that were going on and in, in their in their videos and music that I still go back and listen to It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, their second album. And I love it. My first introduction to them was the Less Than Zero soundtrack, which I had I had bought because there was a couple of songs that I really liked from the movie that I wanted. And then I just remember it was like the second or third song on side two. And it was Bring the Noise. And I was like, wow, what is this? 
Like, I wasn't typically uh, somebody that listened to a lot of rap, especially in the 1980s. Right. But that song, yeah, it's always grabbed me. It's always, it's always been a great song. It always will be. That Less Than Zero soundtrack uh, had a lot of great songs on there, but I remember there was a couple on there that were just... The worst song ever. Oh, Jeff. You remember Karaoke Nights? I used to like karaoke nights. Yeah. Hearing somebody with far too much vodka in their system singing Sweet Child of Mine, but it sounds almost like what you'd hear if they were microwaving a cat. <laughs> you understand how in a gutter Davina happened, yeah. Yep. There was always that one point in the night, and it wasn't just one point in the night. It usually ended up being two or three, where this girl who thinks she can sing would get up and, and do... And her friends at the same yeah. time, I think. Oh, and they, okay, they yeah. Okay. Fight for the mic. Occasionally. Yep. I don't want to do it by myself. You come up with me. And They have a beer with a straw in it. <laughs> right? Beer bottle with a straw in it. Right? Yep. I, you, I, we, 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 we've both been there, Bill. Oh, yeah. We've both seen this happen. It doesn't matter where you are in the country. You could... You nope. could be on vacation and you're over at Disney. It's like, oh, what are we going to do? Oh, let's go to the karaoke bar. And then here's, oh here's South Florida girl getting up. and she Four Coronas later on an empty stomach. <laughs> and here we go. And they always pick this goddamned song. It definitely is a scourge of karaoke. The, the song that Bill and I are lamenting having to bring the name up of because <laughs> it's going to earworm us for the next 100 hours is What's Up by Four Non Blondes. Yes, the name of the song is What's Up. Those words do not appear in the yeah, song. They, yeah, they must have thrown that as a curve. What's going on is the, the repeating thing. I think the reason they didn't call it What's Going On is because that's a super famous Marvin Gaye song. Too true. And people would think that they were do, probably doing that one. It's like, oh. And it, then they would hear it and be like, this is not Marvin Gaye. All right, let's play the clip. It goes through me like straight peaches through a baby. Oh my god! It really fits in the time that it was when it was popular, 90, 1993. It fits in that it's it's right there in like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, these guys, L7. Fits in that whole stew of that same kind of like a little bit acoustic, a little bit electric, a little bit slow, and a little bit fast, and a little bit loud, and a little bit soft, and a little bit bad. And yeah, it was uh, at, at that point in time in musical history, there was no alternative to alternative. Yes. And this video was on constant rotation on MTV. And... Do you remember the video? I can still smell this video. <laughs> God, that video, you it had a smell to it. It smelled like clove cigarettes, patchouli. patchouli yeah. Yeah, and a, and a hamper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. They, they, everybody in that room just looks like they stunk. Ugh. <laughs> the, the record, which is called, like, what, Bigger, Badder, Faster, Louder, something like that. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Bigger, better, faster, more. Yeah. Right? It was recorded over 91 and 92. It took a long time to record because they went through a lineup change in the middle of recording the record. Lisa Perry, who's a fa super famous songwriter now, yep. kind of got her start here and parlayed that into a career writing songs for Christina Aguilera and some others. Yep. Put out, a, I guess there was a single that came out before What's Up. I have no idea what song it is because I never heard it. No. And they did a couple of like weird covers after that for some like compilation albums. And I've never heard those either. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is all news to me. Yeah. They, they broke up recording their second record because uh, they probably listened to the first record and were like, well, uh, I think we're done here. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, they had a song on the Wayne's World 2 soundtrack, which, you know, everybody owns a copy of that. You know, to this day in 2021, as far as I can tell, if there's a karaoke, there's going to be some drunk girl getting up and belting out a... And the thing is, you don't really need to be a good singer. That's not a hard song to sing. It's just right. a matter of singing it loud. It's not good. Yep. It's loud. The less loud you hear it, the better it is. Yeah, it's like whenever the, you just hear those opening chords, you're like, oh, for Christ's sakes, here we go. And uh, yeah, and they broke up while they were recording the second album. Linda Perry was like, yeah, screw you guys, I'm going home. 
Hopefully she uh, she washed her clothes after that. All right. So as long as life seems to drag whenever somebody is singing Four Non Blondes uh, while doing karaoke, it pales in comparison to the length of the longest television commercial, which was my trivia question at the beginning of the show. What was yes. the longest television commercial? And my answer was the entire season and final game of the Major League Soccer season number one, which was like 1995. All right, you're in the ballpark, which is a horrible play on words. The longest television commercial, it was broadcast in Sao Paulo. I'm going to say that right? Sao Paulo? Yep. Sao Paulo, Brazil. It was a commercial for Old Spice, and it was 14 hours long. 14 hour long 14 commercial. 14 hour long commercial? It aired from 6 o'clock in the morning until 8 o'clock at night local time on December the 8th in 2018. Now, I don't know how much you could possibly say about Old Spice deodorant. Uh, and what, what could you possibly say in 14 hours that you can't say in 14 seconds, you know? I don't know. What, did they just make Terry Crews go out and talk to the audience for 14 hours at gunpoint <laughs> or something? I don't know. All I can tell you about Old Spice is I cannot use it. It turns my armpits into big balls of rashy skin. Oh, that's actually, it's my chosen deodorant, so. Oh. Well, you don't have to worry about me using your stuff whenever I go over your house. Unless you hear me screaming out of the bathroom, you know what happened. You, you end up using it, you get you get hives. I can, I can already see it. You'll be like, Jeff, look. And I'll say, Bill, those look like hives. And you say, I know, but I don't want to make any rash decisions. Oh, you suck. You're the worst. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Happy anniversary, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, that is going to wrap it up for this week. We will see you back here in, uh, we'll call it seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. A special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Twibly or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends. They'll probably get all the trivia questions right, too. Bastards. I don't know what you're talking about. All I know is that you're wrong. <laughs> I think I'm having a potato stroke because I can smell boiled potatoes in my room and I'm I'm, I'm not cooking them and no one else in my house would make boiled potatoes. I, I, I don't even know. It's what just, year was this? It makes me want to... 1851. And, oh my God, dude, right now walking down the street, I can see a guy wearing a 1980s style crop top shirt. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, and is he smoking a cigarette? You can bet your sweet ass he is. So anyway, <laughs> uh, excuse me, I'm going to burp. Uh, excuse me. And uh, we shall have you start. This. Uh, excuse me. I, I, this it, is the week I, starting November. This is the week beginning November the 6th. <laughs> Come on, don't. This is the week beginning November the 16th. <laughs> All right. Hey, my name. Hey, my, my name is Bill with Odell. All right. Hey. <laughs> That, that's a, if you just <laughs> that's gonna get cut right out of the show because nobody gives a shit. <laughs> there was the trial brought on by the International Hot Dog Association. I'm sorry. It's okay. It'll end up on the. I'm gonna try and get, I'm gonna try and get it we'll out. Be on the blooper I'm reel. Gonna try and get it out. Yeah, I'm gonna try and get it out. <clears throat> <sighs> So it reminds me a lot of the. <laughs> it's it's repetitive and it's 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 repetitive. First flight people, I don't care what history shows, because they were prior to airplane. God damn it! It's like an airplane just flew by my house. That's me making noises. I don't know. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my god! I laughed so hard my back cracked. <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> it was. It was. Thanks, Jeff. I'll be right back. i got to go take a shower now. They brought in another singer named uh, Ripper Owen. Ripper Owens. Ripper Owens? Ripper Owens. I'm waiting for Bill to oh, correct well, me I don't, or I don't know. confirm that I'm correct. Ripper Owens.